Hello, welcome back to another episode of Pining for Pixels. I'm your host, Red Rooster, and today we're going to do another Evercade Expeditions episode. And this one is going to be focused on one of the more recent cart releases, which is Full Void. So we'll get into that one in just a little bit. It's an interesting cart. I have a lot to, stay on, or to say on. But uh, before we get into it, let's talk about the news, because there's definitely been a lot of news, and unfortunately quite a bit of bad news um so if you follow video game news at all over the past week you probably know where i'm going with this uh first up the big one and this is of course microsoft laying off 1900 activision blizzard and xbox employees last week this was a huge uh, announcement of course and according to some people this is this was expected since they closed the activision blizzard uh, merger uh late last year and i guess as a result, and I do remember they said that they they that they would examine where the redundancies were because obviously two big corporations merging together like that, especially the both, you know, with gaming or in the gaming division, uh, they'd have a lot of uh, redundancies for areas that are now combined into one. Uh, sadly, that meant that one thousand hundred people would be losing their jobs see in my mind and i mean of course i am by no means a business expert so i'm not going to tell anyone how to do their job but part of me wished that uh well i I shouldn't say part of me all of me wishes that uh, microsoft would have instead of cutting those poor people that they would have redeployed elsewhere and even if there was nowhere like you know because i mean this is covering different like customer service and just different um areas of their development uh, or sorry, of their gaming divisions but uh, even if like you know you can't find a specific spot that suits them i don't know i just keep thinking that there must be some kind of opportunities that they could have redeployed these people elsewhere created something new for them um i don't know it's just it's harsh 1900s it's a cold hard business decision and they're far from the only a company be to be doing it lately um but this accounts for roughly eight percent of the overall microsoft gaming division um which at the time was around twenty two thousand employees total so i guess that is minus 1900 now but uh, yeah that's really awful awful news and i don't like hearing about this kind of thing at all um yeah very sad stuff i really hope that all those people got impacted uh do find work elsewhere because this is just it's horrible because i think microsoft also just recently closed their business day last week at some point being valued at over three trillion dollars which seems wild to say right i think the only company other than them i know for sure was apple that crossed that mark so that's why i think like well given that they spent close to 70 billion on Activision Blizzard, and they have 1,900 people here that I, I understand they have redundancies, but is there not something that could have been done? And again, I can't speak with any authority on that because number one, I'm not any kind of business expert. And number two, maybe they tried that. I, I doubt it, but it's always a possibility that they did try that. But either way, end of the day, we have 1,900 people that lost their job. And it's just, it's just awful. I hate that news. Um, but alongside that as well, um, Blizzard President Mike Ibarra, who'd been there for a long time anyway, had announced that he was stepping down and leaving the company. Um, that was also big news, but obviously the 1900 layoffs was bigger news. Uh, but just today, because I'm recording this on Monday, uh, so announced today, January 29th, uh, Blizzard, um, or Microsoft has announced that Blizzard Entertainment's new president is going to be at the former Call of Duty and previously an NFL executive by the name of Johanna Ferries. Uh, and her first day will be on next week, February 5th on the Monday. So we'll see what comes with that. I had heard, I had read some discussion that this was a, potentially a move that was planned prior to the Microsoft takeover uh that blizzard had resisted again i don't know if there's, that's true or not i had read that that was the case and that now that microsoft is in charge they're putting it through uh but anyway like i mean another big thing that came out of blizzard too was that uh, they were working on a survival game and they had been for quite a long time and microsoft microsoft has now canceled it and unfortunately that game will 
it's just not going to happen. But, you know, if that's true, and I assume it is, um, I will say this, that I saw a lot of people complaining that, oh, I can't believe they canceled because by all reports it was good and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know what? Like, when I think back last year, I remember when Redfall came, that game came out and everyone thought, oh, they should have just canceled it. It's awful, blah, 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 blah. And all these stories after, we all hoped it would have been canceled from a lot of the developers and stuff, supposedly. Um, and you know what? Like, so now they've canceled what? And now this is kind of like what you see on the other side of that, right? If they had canceled a game like Redfall back then, there would have been like, oh, I can't believe they would have canceled that game. Oh my gosh, that's awful. Right? So it's interesting. Like, you're damned if you do or and you're damned if you don't. So... Either way, it's all bad news. I think the the real tragic story, though, obviously, is the layoff of one thousand nine hundred people. That's just terrible. Uh, but anyway, that that's that's just the state of the industry. Because our next news story is more recent. This is just a uh, breaking news, relatively recently, and this is um, coming from I believe Bloomberg uh, that Embracer Group. Uh, they've already done some layoffs, and they're doing more so idos montreal which is owned by embracer group has had to let go of 97 game developers and support staff and on top of that they've canceled a new deus ex game that was apparently two years in development oh i love deus ex so that's unfortunate to hear that but again the true tragedy here is 97 people getting let go so i i saw that um I can't remember the number right now, but like if you look from January 1st to present, how many layoffs we've seen in before the end of this month, it's insane the amount of people that are losing work right now in this in this industry. And honestly, like again, I, it's awful that these huge corporations are are making these decisions and that so many people are horribly impacted by this. But it's also in my mind this is a sign of where this industry is right now, right? With the the focus on this AAA blockbuster budgeted stuff. And it makes me think more and more about like, it's not, it shouldn't just be all about having this bleeding edge visuals, awesome tech and whatever, right? Because every game today, like has like, I think the safe bet for everyone is like, let's do one of those like third person cinematic action adventure games. And like, I miss like I think there's there's a lot to be found in those like more modest indie games, right? Those those games that are made on a modest budget, but they they try different things and they're truer to the old school sort of video game style from back in the day. Like I think about gaming, what what we consider to be AAA back in the days of the Super Nintendo or the NES, is far different than the kind of game that we consider AAA today, right? Like, and to be fair, Sony has really helped to establish that as like the big seller right and obviously big games like call of duty and, and these like things and this is why we see games like uh like i mean hey the upcoming suicide squad may be victim to this but uh you know having to have those service games as a service models because they want to make as much money as possible in all these microtransactions and all the stuff that we hear all these negative stories it's because these budgets have gotten so wild and out of control and oh, I don't know. I just like there has to be uh, something here. Like, what can we reasonably sacrifice? Because like you look at like the Nintendo Switch, and a lot of the stuff that they sell is not on like from a technical standpoint, it's not on par with the series Xbox Series X or the PlayStation Five. Um, but they're selling their stuff like gangbusters. We just need an innovation in that space, and it doesn't necessarily require teams of quadrillions that you can't reasonably sustain on staff afterwards right i don't know i have heard a lot of people sort of doom and gloom talking about how are we headed towards another crash similar to you know what happened with atari back in the early 80s in et uh where they just couldn't sustain it anymore and it feels like we're on that trajectory i think i've already even sort of opined this in a previous episode of the show but it kind of feels like that right now i don't know if it's just because we've heard so much about all these layoffs in as well, like Microsoft and Sony both have very barren sort of landscapes for the future. Although Microsoft has recently improved that with their most recent developer direct. And hopefully that's, we're going to see some improvements from Sony too, because we know they have an upcoming state of play, which I'll talk about in just a second here. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that all that stuff's going on uh, and it's just, it's always just kind of bad news. And the other thing too, 
you know, when you're looking at YouTube videos or looking at these articles online, the things that seem to promote the most engagement is negativity and bad news. And, you know, the algorithms of YouTube and stuff seem to um, reward those kinds of things because people are watching that content and engaging with that content more. So that's just you know, breeding more of it. And we see that, uh, all across the board. So I don't know if it's just a sign of just this sort of permeation of a uh, negativity in the industry or, but I mean, at the same time, you know, the economy is not great and like people aren't spending as much right now. I, I imagine on things, frivolities like video games, I guess, but, um, things are getting pretty dire here. So there's definitely going to have to be some kind of changes. So of course, there's also the big news. The big talk right now is that is Xbox going digital only? They're, you know, removing all their physical stuff. Um, you know, there's the story that in Walmart, they were selling copies of Starfield for a couple cents because, or not sell, they weren't actually selling it. They were just removing, removing them from sale and destroying them. Uh, so all signs seems to be pointing to Xbox potentially going all digital, though nothing has been announced. But, I mean, it's true that is going to be the future, of course. That's just kind of how everything has gone that way. And even Sony, I think, is going in that direction as well. But I'm sure if that is indeed the direction it's going, Microsoft will be the first there, given the, the popularity of Game Pass. Uh, but, you know, obviously PlayStation is PlayStation Plus, which is also similar. And, you know, those leaked memos of Sony admitting that you know microsoft is well ahead of them on that front and that their business practices are a little bit outdated now uh, and i think that they are really referring to the physical market but you know for me i am always a phys- i love physical because i love having a game and owning the game now sometimes games are only released digitally and you know you can't do anything about it i'm not gonna like not play games but if it's a digital only, I'll always have to think twice about it. So I guess that's where a model like Game Pass or PlayStation Plus works because if I pay a modest subscription fee, um, then I don't feel like I have that digital ownership, which is exactly what the Ubisoft uh, executive was talking about just the other week where gamers have to get used to the idea of not owning their games. But the thing is, I'm going to be less likely to fully engage with the games that I don't feel ownership over, right? So it really changes the dynamic. And again, that's like that's a, a much deeper, bigger topic overall. So on the one hand, I could say, yeah, okay, I can get used to just having a subscription service. But knowing games come in and out of those services... Uh, and even for the game that stays, just knowing that, you know, I don't actually have this game. I just pay an access fee to access it. And at any time, they can just take it away. Then I'm less likely to be engaged with it because when I buy a game, for example, even on Steam, which is all digital, right? When I buy a game, I feel like, okay, I, I have access to this whenever I want to play it. It is mine, right? Because I've purchased it. I don't specifically own the code and it's not for me to like repackage it and sell it in a modified form as my own creation. Obviously, that's nonsense. But especially a physical game, you know, you can lend it to a friend. You can sell it. Um, if you're done with it, you don't think you're ever going to play it again. You could always sell it used to someone, right? Uh, and that's something you can't do with digital. But at least with digital, I typically always have access to to that game on a platform like Steam. However, we've also seen even digital is kind of questionable uh, digital ownership because they can always go in and remove it. So if you don't have a downloaded copy of it, then you kind of lose access to it. So anyway, troubling times indeed with this stuff, but we'll see where it all leads. Don't want to focus too much on negatives all the time, though. So let's talk about something a little nicer. And like I said, that there was uh, some news about a Sony state of play uh, because Xbox had theirs earlier this year. We got to learn about games like Indiana Jones, Hellblade 2, and all that stuff coming to Xbox. Now Sony has decided they're going to break the silence. And on January 31st, so in a couple days, at 5 p.m. Eastern time, they're going to be doing their uh, next state of play. It sounds like it's going to be pretty big. So as per the Sony, the Sony blog, the PlayStation blog, it says this, and I quote, The broadcast will be over 40 minutes long and feature guest appearances from some of the most talented minds in gaming. Among many other updates, we'll feature extended looks at Stellar Blade and Rise of the Ronin, two great games coming to PS5 this year, and we'll give you a new look at other titles coming to PS5 and PSVR 2 in 2024 and beyond. So apparently this event is going to include, from what I hear, more than 15 games that will uh, 
that cover both PS5 and PSVR. Um, now they did say extended looks at, at Stellar Blade and Rise of Ronin or Rise of the Ronin, which uh, Rise of the Ronin I'm looking forward to. Stellar Blade looks pretty good too, but um, these are games we already knew are are coming. So I don't know for sure, but I get the in, the feeling that we're not going to see a lot of uh, first party stuff from them. I think this is still going to be mostly littered with third-party support because I still, again, believe that Sony's first party is in a bit of disarray. And I imagine a lot of the stuff announced here, not everything, but a lot of it is going to be probably also coming to Xbox as well. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm very excited, though, so I'd like to see some arcs that, again, they, they did say um, a new look at other titles coming to PSVR and P- PS5 and PSVR 2. So hopefully we'll see some good stuff. Now... Having said that, uh, on X, there was a post from some supposed gaming insider. They posted a cryptid, a cryptic post that tried to hint at the games you're going to see. And this person has a good track record of leaking stuff and had already leaked that this state of play would be on January 31st, which certainly came out to be true and also mentioned a rise of the Ronin in that one. So, um, and since Sony has confirmed stuff, it seems like this could be something to this one. So I'll read what the Twitter post says, and then afterwards I'll outline the games that are kind of mentioned here. So it's, it's just this cryptic message, but, you know, if, again, if you follow the stuff, you'll hear a whole bunch of references to games here. So the Twitter post goes as follows, and I quote, On the 31st, roughly, Ronins will rise, will die stranded, have a rebirth, and Kojima will fulfill his dream. Sonic will live in the shadow of his generation while the hills will remain silent until the dawn when you'll need to catch the metro. Just don't be a Judas about it. So yes, a couple of very on-the-nose references here. So what we get here is obviously Rise of the Ronin um, and obviously the uh, Kojima and Die Stranded is Death Stranding 2, which we know is coming and apparently the uh, rumored leaked name for this is Death Stranding 2 on the beach. I don't know if that's true, but supposedly. Uh, and then, of course, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Uh, they mentioned Sonic, uh, and it sounded because they mentioned about In the Shadow of a Generation. Uh, so there was an old PS3 slash 360 era Sonic game called Sonic Generations, which was a combination of the 3D and 2D Sonic. Um, and it was a, quite a good game. So it sounds like maybe there's going to be a remaster of that, which I wouldn't be surprised to see because it was really well loved at the time. Um, so potentially Sonic Generations remastered, uh, Silent Hill 2, obviously, I think, I mean, Sony's already kind of said that one's coming out this year. Oh God, I can't wait. That one looks amazing. Anyway, uh, Until Dawn, uh, a remaster of that one. We know there's an Until Dawn movie coming up and I believe there's also heavy rumors that the game is getting a remaster, which would make sense. So wouldn't be surprised to see that. Uh, apparently a new Metro game, given the straight up mention of the name Metro, and lastly, Judas, which is a game that was announced uh, as coming from Ken Levine, who is the maker of Bioshock and, and such. So um, I think there's a bit of excitement around that, but I don't know. I remember they showed a teaser for it, but I know absolutely nothing about it. So until I, I see something more about what the actual game is, I don't care about these cinematic trailers and stuff. I'm like, okay, it means nothing right now until I actually see what kind of game am I going to be playing. But I did like Ken Levine's other stuff, so excited to see what that is, but right now I don't really have any context to uh, to figure it out. And Honestly, when I saw the trailer, I, f- I just figured it's going to probably be similar to Bioshock, simply because you know that's what he's very well known for right now. But anyway, let's see what happens. Uh, sounds exciting, though, so that'll be um, in a couple days from now we'll, we'll have those answers, and I imagine I'll be talking about it a little bit more on next week's uh, Pining for Pixels and whatever they announced there. Okay. All right. So in terms of games that I'm currently playing, well, of course, Final Fantasy VII Remake has been on the palette for me to play, and I have been playing it. But I will admit that my gaming time has been massively um, disrupted by none other than Pal World. Pal World has overtaken my time because I've been playing tons of Pal World. I love it. It is so good. Oh, my goodness. I just... I have become so addicted. I don't know what it is, but like they absolutely nailed the sort of Pokemon aesthetic. I know there's a lot of that controversy that they have 
infringed upon Pokemon and that uh, the Pokemon company has said, we're going to take a closer look. But to be honest, I'll say this about Power World, that if they had intended to take action, I believe they would have done it long ago. I think they're only putting that statement out there now because they are constantly getting pinged by their fans saying, hey, look at Power World, it's ripped you off. And I think they've received such a volume because they've sold, last I checked, 8 to 9 million copies of Power World within the first like five or six days. So I think a lots of it's it attracted a lot of negative attention too. Even the developers of Power World had said, whoa, we're getting like some death threats and stuff, which is wild. Um, but um, yeah, Power World has, has definitely taken the gaming world by storm right now. And it, this is what I was talking about before, right? Like, because by all accounts, a lot of people think, well, this is just a game that was kind of slapdash. You took a some traversal mechanics from Breath of the Wild, like the open world, uh, the survival aspects from a game like Ark, and just the overall aesthetic and, and idea of capturing and training animals from Pokemon. And quite honestly, the, a lot of those pals, as they're called in the game, look very similar to Pokemon, but not to the point where I would say that they are I mean, some of them are just very blatant ripoffs, but not that they're using any assets from it. And I think that's the thing. I think both Nintendo and um, the Pokemon company understand that it's a blatant ripoff, but nothing that they could actually take to court because the game itself doesn't follow at all what Pokemon is. It's not about being the best there is, building up your army, winning badges, etc., or anything like that. It's it's all about it's a survival game. So. And it's also early access right now, and it's a huge hit. And this has been this game has been a game that's been in development for a little bit, and it's been well known ahead of its release. So that's why I don't think they're going to do anything because in the past, Nintendo immediately trounces on anything that comes out that infringes upon their stuff. Uh, case in point, in Power World, someone a fan had released a a fan, like a fan mod. So this is not affiliated with the official creators of Power World, but just a fan had put out a mod that changed all the pals into actual Pokemon and changed the main character to Ash Ketchum from the anime, um, the Pokemon anime. So immediately Nintendo pulled that down, but they have taken no such action against Power World. And I don't think they will because that game is, is really nothing like Pokemon outside of the, the pals and their visual look. And it's amazing, by the way. That game is so incredible. <laughs> if you have Game Pass, just download it. It's wicked. Uh, if you don't, then uh, and you have access to Steam, download it there because it's awesome. That's such a good game. Uh, so I'm very curious to see what they do with it. But anyway, I digress. Here I am getting derailed on the show talking about Power World. Um, but yeah, another game I've been playing quite a bit of is Prince of Persia. The further I get into that game, the more and more I'm like, oof, this game is excellent. I'm having a great time with this. So for sure, those two games, particularly Power World, have derailed me a bit. But I can say this, that Final Fantasy VII Remake, I'm about halfway through the game. And, uh, you know, just a reminder to everyone that I'm going to be doing my um, video game book club. The first installment of it for Final Fantasy VII Remake will be coming next week. um, And I'll be talking about my thoughts. So you know, I, I I would like to receive some submissions from those of you who have played it and have thoughts because I want to have like a you know a discussion with people about you know what you think about Final Fantasy VII uh, remake and how how it compares to the to the original version uh, and you know your thoughts on this and, and you know next week I'll be talking about basically the first half of the game um, and then I will do a second part of it. In the at the end of February, just before the release of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, so I'm really looking forward to getting those episodes out there. And I can say that I'm certainly enjoying Final Fantasy VII Remake quite a bit. I'm a big fan of, uh, of Final Fantasy in general, especially Final Fantasy VII. So yeah, please uh, reach out to me with your thoughts on the game. You can do that by emailing me at redroostersgamingcoop at gmail.com, or you can DM me on X. And my tag is at Red Rooster GC. Again, anything that you have to say, your thoughts on Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, and I'd love to have conversations with folks about that. And we can read it on the show. And I'll talk about my thoughts and read any thoughts that anyone happens to send me. So please, uh, I would really love to get other people's takes on it. All right. Now with that, let's get on to the segment of the show.
much for your patience. So here we are, we're doing another episode of Evercade Expeditions. And the cart we're looking at this week is going to be for Full Void, which is a red spine cart. And it is cart number 32, if you're keeping track of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, Full Void. So this is an exciting game. Um, so this game actually did get a digital release on PlayStation, on Nintendo Switch, etc. Um, and I think Xbox as well. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it looked interesting. Um, I opted not to pick it up on another platform because I knew at that point it was coming to Evercade. So I had it pre-ordered, ready to go. So I picked that bad boy up and it certainly came uh, close to the end of last year. At some point, anyway, it was uh, prior to the Duke Nukem carts that came out, but to, it was in the in the latter half of last year that Full Void came out. And this is a game that is uh, one of those like narrative sort of platforming puzzle games, and it comes from the studio called Out of the Bit. I've never heard of them before, but uh, certainly was impressed with this cartridge. Uh, so let's talk about it. So yeah, again, Evercade, if, if you're unfamiliar with it, is a it's a console that you can get in handheld form with their Evercade EXP or in a home console format, the Evercade Versus. Um, um, and they sell cartridges for relatively cheap. Uh, and the whole idea is they, they're keeping old school alive. So Volvoid, as a result, is is a new game. It is a very brand new game. I guess it was 2023 release, but it is one of those uh, new retro style games. So it is very much in the vein of the old Delphine interactive uh, software. So games like Another World and Flashback and stuff like that. Uh, it is a game that plays very much like those and looks like it could have been right from that time frame. Although they do use some modern-ish effects that, although it's not like out of place or anything, but it wouldn't be possible on hardware from back then. Uh, but it's, oh, it's, it's really good. So this game, right away, I'll say off top, I really like it quite a bit. I think they didn't, a spectacular job in bringing this gaming style back. This was a gaming style that I loved way back in the day. Uh, I remember playing Another World Flashback and even like Prince of Persia, which is a little different, but control-wise, very similar. Um, and I loved these old games. And it was, I was glad to see that someone was like out there making more games like this because it was like one of those uh, styles of games that. I think people who play it today maybe aren't quite as keen on it. So uh, unless you have a taste for the retro style games, it's not necessarily going to be for everyone. But I'm not going to hold that against it because I think they did an excellent job with this game. And, you know, they, they added some accessibility stuff that made it a little bit easier because those old games were a little more punishing, like Another World. Uh, you know, you, you can make a lot of progress. And then if you suddenly died then you'd be pushed all the way back, whereas this game has a much more generous checkpoint system. Uh, but yeah, I can say for sure, Full Void, it certainly pays homage to that sort of cinematic platformer style. And it looks like, you know, if you were to hand this to me and said, hey, here's a game that Delphine Software made back in the day. I don't know if you've ever played it. I wouldn't just believe it. I would be like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Well, I never played this. This is awesome. I can't believe I never saw it. I would totally fall for it because... Like I said, they did such a good job at capturing that essence and that look. Uh, and even some of the more modern stuff, because I'm not a, a developer myself, I wouldn't pick up on some of the stuff that really wouldn't have been possible back then. Um, but yeah, like seriously, like it's funny because also a cart that came out last year on Evercade was actually the Delphine Software Collection. Uh, it was a, an Evercade cart then that contained Another World and several other other games. So this game here would have felt j right at home on that cart. Because um, it has that core core gameplay from that, that uh, series, uh, very much similar to Another World. Uh, but it also does, like I said, mix in some more modern influences. So knowing that this came out today, I can see right off the top that it has some... The, some of the narrative influence comes from something like, at least to me, it comes off this way as being influenced from... Stranger Things, the Netflix TV series, just just the idea of this kid um, that's fleeing these what I imagine are ex these experimental creatures, these robot things, and you're running away from these robotic things, and uh, primarily you're traveling through this sort of broken down city, and then there's these various factory type settings, but it feels very much like it's out of Stranger Things to me. Now. 
when you're playing this game, when you start, you kind of start off in the middle of this chase. You go into the city and you just keep pressing forward. And then you just have to keep solving these environmental puzzles, avoiding these enemies. Uh, and you're always like looking to avoid their gaze because they're looking around. Then there's this one or two of them that keep just continuously following you. And they do a good job at ratcheting up that tension. And again, you if you know this style of game, you know how smooth and vivid that animation is, but also the way they control is very uh, unique. Um, and narratively speaking, why this is happening isn't super apparent, and, uh, apparent I should say, sorry, uh, until much later into the game. Um, but like I said, there's that constant anxiety of being chased but not fully understanding what's going on. Uh, but you always know that you have this looming threat that's after you, essentially. So... Partway through the game, you discover a small, like, this this little robot guy that helps you out. Um, and I thought this this little robot that you have, because he, he kind of stays with you, and then you find these environmental sections where you, you can make use of him, where you hack into a, a terminal and you need to use him to help yourself traverse, uh, like, a certain area. And I thought having that little robot helper added a lot of... Uh, ingenuity to the puzzles it really added a new layer like a new depth to the game uh and it and, and honestly like that little robot guy he's just sort of not not ultra expressive but he added a lot of character to the game i thought and i thought it was oh just a great choice or great choice in how they portrayed him uh you know you also get a little bit of narrative exposition about this robot and his origins um that happens later on and i thought it was like a, a really sort of sweet note in the game when you when you see a little more about that robot and it just i don't know it was it was like this little very true to kind of like i imagine again like stranger things or or that that idea that like i'm imagining like an 80s sci-fi you know a, a little sweet almost a tearjerker-ish moment not really tearjerker but you know like just like a little emotional part that i thought was a nice touch so uh, the game also fe features these sort of like hacking sections similar to like what you would see in like an 80s sci-fi kind of movie with a kid on the run kind of situation where you, you know you, you plug your like you have your computer that you're carrying with you everywhere in the game and you plug it into these terminals uh that allow you to control some of these sort of devices or you can pull out your little robot buddy and it allows you to manipulate different parts of the environment. It's it's integral to some of the puzzle parts. But whenever we got to these um, hacking parts, I always thought these were some of my more like highlights of the game. I thought they were a lot of fun to play through those little uh, hacking puzzle pieces. And I always felt very satisfied to, to, when I when sometimes I would get to a puzzle where I was just like I don't know what to do here, and then it would just suddenly occur to me, and through trial and error you would eventually solve your way through through just the regular environmental ones. The same with the hacking stuff, and I thought it was always very satisfying to to push my way through. So overall, I think they just really nailed that atmosphere, and I always felt like you know I would get stuck on a certain puzzle, but not to the point where I would get frustrated and turn it off or anything like that. I would eventually realize that I can just, you know, continue to go. But, um, you know, and technically speaking, like I said, this game is just a straight on homage to those old Delphine software games. Uh, but th they have that very smooth, um, almost like rotoscope style animation and the controls in this game. It's that kind of control that kind of requires you to, and this is where I think people would not if you don't already have experience with the style of game this might be a turnoff for some it's the kind of game where you have to put your control input ahead of time so for example um you know you have to always take into account the associated animation that's going to take place after you press the button so if you're going to have to uh jump over a gap let's say you're going to have to press that jump button a few seconds or like a, a second or two before you actually plan to do the jump similar to if you've ever played the original prince of persia where you had to press that jump button just at the right time to avoid falling to your death in the pit because it had to play through that animation and again i know that's not a style that'll be up for everyone but i think it's to be honest i think that is pretty integral to this particular genre uh, because there's a certain flow that you can get into with the with the control when you know how it controls and you know how those animations key and you know that there's always going to be that little bit of input delay uh, because that's going to require that animation to execute in order for the action to take place. But once you find that 
that rhythm, it feels awesome to, to hit. And th this game is very true to that style. And like I said before, there is... Um, there's more of a checkpoint system in this game that really helps to keep you moving uh, because, like I said, you're going to get, you know, these games you can die pretty quick and easy. And if you get caught by one of those robot beasts, then the game's done. And they've got these really cool, like, close-up um, cinematic moments when you die. But um, the good thing is, like I said, it's not like the old-school Delphine games where you c go back to the beginning. It puts you back to a checkpoint, but I found the checkpoints to be relatively uh, generous, so you never get thrown back too far to be frustrated from having to replay a whole bunch of junk. So I think that was a, a good step on their end by keeping it modern in that respect. Um, and I'll also say, too, that the puzzles that I was able to make pretty steady progress with, uh, they're not too difficult, Um but, you know, especially if you're a fan of this style of game, then you'll you'll be able to figure it out pretty pretty easily, I think, overall. But I shouldn't say easily. You know, I wouldn't say that these puzzles are pushover either. They presented, you know, a moderate uh, challenge, I guess. And so, some of them easier than others, some of them a little more difficult, but, you know, moderate challenge. And I would say overall, this is not a long game whatsoever. You can complete this game in about three, maybe four hours if, on your first time through. You have to just take into consideration that that includes the initial run of like trial and error to get through some of those puzzles. Uh, and obviously once you know what you're doing, you can get through it probably in less than three hours, maybe. Um, so, you know, it's short, um, but I will say this, that I, it just doesn't feel like it's uh, too short. It feels like it's kind of right. The right amount. I've seen some people complain that it was too short, but I think it personally, I really enjoyed my time playing this game, and I felt like, yeah, this is the right amount of time for this game, because if it continued to go, it just it would have just kind of dragged on, maybe, I think. Like, it doesn't outstay its welcome. They're comfortable ending it when they do, and I think it was appropriate to have done it that way. And, in you know, in the news today, we talked about some of the AAA budgets and stuff happening. Another big problem this industry has current day is that they want to inflate playtime to make sure the players feel, okay... I got, you know, 100 trillion hours in this game, therefore I got my money's worth. And to a certain extent, I can understand that, but when a game suffers because it feels like, oh, it's longer than it needs to be, or they've added in a whole bunch of busy work that's not really narratively important or doesn't really add anything to the gameplay and I'm just kind of rinsing and repeating, then it starts to actually have a negative impact. And this, I think they, they hit a right note at having it. To, I mean, sure, it could have been a little bit longer. I won't say that any longer would have been worse, but I don't think it's a massive negative that it's not a super long game. I think, I honestly do think this was, they hit a really good sweet spot here in terms of the game's length. Uh, but I'll come back to that in just a second. Um, so overall, the game has some really impressive cinematic cutscene moments. Um, again, very much in the style of those Delphine classics. Uh, and it, it really will hit you in the nostalgia all the way through if you're if you've been a fan of these games even though it's a new game but it will definitely make you feel like those times you did when you played another world and flashback and stuff uh and so if you can't tell overall i think this game is just really good and it's 100 worth your time if you have any fine fondness at all for those old delphine titles that's it's just a no-brainer if you're a fan of that style of game this this game is 100 for you you know if you're if you don't have an Evercade, you know what? I would actually recommend, if you love those style of game, pick up an Evercade for sure. Like, yes, this is um, available on all the other platforms right now too, which is a good option as well. But I think it's worth getting the Evercade because the package that this thing comes in is amazing. Um, but also because then you have access to all the old Delphine and a whole bunch of other awesome cards, and the, the cost is relatively low for that stuff. But either way, um, it's great. But I will say that there is one very big point of contention here for this card that made it maybe a little bit controversial amongst uh, Evercade fans, and that is the fact that this is the first, as far as I know, this is the first Evercade card that features only one game this is the only single game cart they've had uh, they've had a couple carts that were two games but typically they have quite a few uh collection or game collections per cart so you know i was thinking about this over the week this past weekend that it's crazy to think that this is considered to be an issue right like that all oh, this this game only has one game in it oh what a ripoff uh you know like i think if i could go back in time and i would 
tell myself, hey, you're going to have this cool console in the future that's going to release these collections of games. So one day they'll release a brand new game that's just the game on the cart. And some people will be upset about that. I would be like, I wouldn't understand. So, you know, considering the cost is significantly lower than most other games, um, you know, it's crazy to think that this would be an issue, but I have to say I'm not completely dismissing that criticism because I can say that based on the precedent that has been set for Evercade, I can understand why some people are like, well, that seems kind of crappy to have to spend the same amount that I would for, let's say, the Sunsoft collection or, you know, even the Duke Nukem, one of those collections or something like that. I get multiple games on those cards, but in this I just get one. Granted, it's an excellent game, but I just get one. So I can understand the um, that criticism, and it's a valid criticism. Uh, it's not one that bothers me too much because I really like this game. And honestly, even because I, w- I will say this too, that the game doesn't necessarily have a lot of replay, uh, at least immediate replay. It's a game I will love to play again just because I enjoy it. I enjoyed playing through it. And I, I, I played this when it came out, and I played pretty much straight through it. Um, and I played it a couple times since then. But... Um, but most certainly, uh, it's not going to have immediate replay. There's no achievement system or or whatever, right? But it is enjoyable enough and short enough that it could be easily replayed just purely for enjoyment factor alone. Um, but yeah, I can understand that that uh, that criticism, and it is not without merit for sure. Um, but yeah, I will say another uh, interesting part about Full Void is that this cart is also running natively on the Evercade hardware, so it's not uh, an emulated whatsoever this is a uh, 100% running on the internals of the Evercade which is a, a pretty awesome uh, thing to think about and that also means that there are no save states or multiple save slots so this game will automatically save as you go and when you're on the main menu you can cho- choose the different checkpoints that you've passed and go back to any of them um, but there's not a whole bunch of different save slots you're just going to have the one um, but yeah that is cool that, so you can always go back and play like particular uh, parts that you really liked, I guess, but um, but yeah, no, it's interesting that this is running natively on the on the machine. But I, I mentioned it already with the manual and the packaging for this game. Uh, but let's let's get into some of the details here. So the game itself, like I said, it's a red red spine cart number thirty two. So of course it comes with the manual, like all Everkid releases. But there's also a little comic prologue that comes with it. So it's just a few pages. It's just a little comic book story that gives you some narrative flavor for the game before starting it. So it'll give you a little bit of a intro to what you're about to get into. It's, it's very cool. But I'll say, though, that manual, oh my goodness, the instruction manual, like every Evercade card comes with an instruction manual, and I always really like them. But this particular manual, I can say, because I have, I'm here, I have the, the case in my hand right now, and this instruction manual is just gorgeous. Like, it, it still is the Evercade manual, but it's got like a black border around it, so it's not a... Uh, the similar color and just the artwork inside and the layout it does not follow the standard Evercade style for manuals this really feels like I went back in time bought a video game for a console and opened the game up and it had the manual and it has very flavorful descriptions really nice little artwork and it's several pages like it's a really thick manual as far as Evercade goes usually they don't have that much thickness to them but this one is really really thick it's a full-on booklet and it feels very much like it was ripped right out of the uh, early 90s i'll say oh it's it really was immediately very reminiscent of that and i could tell there was a lot of love put into this just reading the manual looking at all the artwork in there and just you could see this is just oozing with love from the developer and i believe from blaze entertainment as well i think they were really proud of this one and it really shows here um and i think further proof to that is that for the first time ever for the platform at least as far as i know this title was also available in two different flavors there was of course the standard release which is like i said the red the red spine number 32 but they also opted to put out a special edition version uh so this version uh that came out Obviously, it has the manual, the comic book as well. That it's also in the standard. But on top of all that, this uh, special edition also has an exclusive blue-colored cartridge. So the cartridge itself, because usually the cartridges are always white, this one the cartridge is colored blue. Uh, it comes with a set of stickers, a poster, an exclusive uh, cart inlay, 
and an art book. And it also comes in a special packaging. It comes in the standard clamshell package, but it all comes in one fancy-looking cardboard sleeve. Now, I will say that for those out there who are who have a little bit of OCD about their spines all looking the same if you have them lined up next to one another, uh, the special edition version, because it has the cardboard sleeve, will put it as a slightly different size. If you take it the the clamshell cart out of that sleeve it'll be the same size there. However, it is not a red spine. It, the whole thing is kind of like this bluish gray um, color because it's the special edition, right? So interesting that they went with that, but it looks, it does have more of a pristine look and feel to it for sure. Now, that said, if you don't already have it, uh, it was available exclusively from Funstock, which I think is in the UK, and just for games, I think also in the UK, but also located uh, exclusive at Video Games Plus, which is a Canadian retailer who have been um, partners with uh, Blaze Entertainment, and they always carry all the uh, Evercade stuff, so they were able to carry the special edition version there. And they they do ship all over the place worldwide, so if you're in North America, your best bet would be to get it from Video Games Plus. But do note that it would be coming to, uh, from Canada, so if you live in the USA, you know there'll be shipping and you'll have to wait for little bit of time as it crosses the border and that's only if they have stock left because this was a limited uh release and yeah i don't know that they I, they might still have some left but if if not then it's gone i guess you'd be stuck with a, something like ebay or something but yeah i think the packaging shows a lot of love that they put into this and i really appreciated that and you know one thing i didn't mention in the game that i i want to make sure i mentioned here is that the music in this game is excellent as well it's really again really evocative of of the, those delphine games really suitable to the style and i mentioned stranger things before uh, i mean it's not stranger things music but like i can picture this like everything about it just really screamed that sort of inspiration but again like i said if you had handed me this game said yeah this came back out in the 90s i would think oh wow i guess this game might have had some or had influenced stranger things a little bit <laughs> But it's, it's so convincing and so well done. Um, and yeah, um, like I said, it's, uh, it's just, there's a lot of love put into this release and it really does reflect here. And it really does feel like the old school days of, of buying a video game, having that full on manual. And, you know, that was a thing back then. We really took that for granted because we just assumed it would always be like that. Fast forward to today where there's, you know, we were just talking about the digital revolution and even for those games you get physically typically no manual just simply like if it's a nintendo switch a little cart or any other system a cd with no other kind of documentation like that and usually especially in those cd based versions you don't often have the full game even on the disc anyway anymore these days so i do appreciate that you know evercade exists and that they that they are keeping up with this uh with these releases and i can't wait to see what they have coming for us later this year but yeah this one's a really cool cart and it really does make an impression now all that said i have to give this this game a rating at the end of the day so i love this game i love the packaging i love everything about this but i do have to say again that the fact that it is just the one game is enough to give it a bit of a, a negative slant you know, the game alone, oh, I, I, I would give it high marks for the game. But, you know, with the the single game factor, I can't quite give it an A at this rate. So I'm going to have to go ahead. And let's say because they gave it the special edition and even the standard edition stands out more than the others, I don't want to just give it a B. So I will go ahead and give it a B plus because I think this game is really special. I think... Again, the cost of these cards aren't too high, but you are getting a really special sort of presentation here, even if you're just getting the standard version. There's, you're not missing out that much from getting that. Uh, the game itself is special. Um, the manual is part of the experience, and it's awesome. So I think they did a great job. So I'm, I'm happy to say B-plus for this one. Um, it's definitely a great one. Now, I will say the caveat being that if you don't like those Delphine software-style cinematic platformer games you probably will not like this game because it although they do make it a little more accessible it if depending on why you don't like it like it, it is um 
definitely true to that style and that they lean into it. So if you don't like it, you might want to think twice about it. Uh, but if you do like that style, then I think this card is totally worth it. it doesn't again, the cost of these cards aren't aren't too great, and I think uh, it's worthy adding this one to the collection. So yeah, there you go. Uh, but like I said, I, you know, I gushed about it quite a bit, but I give it a B plus. And like I said, this primarily due to the fact that it is just the one game on the cart because the Evercade has a reputation for having multi games on these carts. Um, but you know, like I do, like I said, I do think that they were breaking new ground here by number one having it being natively played. And I think they, they're they're the cart with Cathedral and. Uh, uh, something else. I can't remember the other game. I was awakening. I think um, that card. I think was also native. I could be wrong, but uh, I know this one is. And like I said, this one just feels special for some reason. Uh, but again, all things considered, it's a B plus from me. Anyway, that's it. That's uh, that's all I have to say about uh, about Full Void. So let me know what you think. Are you planning to pick it up? Have you already played it? Even if you played it on another platform, if so, what did you think? And if you did pick up this Evercade card, were you as impressed with it as i was just in terms of the manual the presentation and just sort of the, the what seemed to be a loving care that, that was put into this one uh let me know you can always reach out to me via email i am at um red roosters gaming coop at gmail.com or you can message me on x you can find me at Red Rooster GC. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, please reach out. And again, uh, just as a reminder, I'm doing my Final Fantasy VII uh, remake video game book club episode next week. Uh, and I'd love to hear comments from anyone out there who's uh, uh, who who wants to weigh in and, and you know give me your feedback, what you thought of the game, and I'll uh, be sure to have that conversation on air if I get anything. And yeah. Look forward to that for next week. But until next time, thanks so much for uh, listening today and have yourself a great day. Bye-bye.